Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the third and final hour today of the Live with Rank Show. I appreciate you tuning in, and I'm very much as I told you earlier in the show, looking forward to this next discussion. Because for years now, a few years, we've been hearing that we need to do bail reform, bail reform, bail reform all over the United States. Some have tried, some are failing miserably at it, others maybe aren't. Uh, I just was, well, what motivated me was something I brought to all of you guys a couple weeks ago, I think it was, probably earlier, or maybe almost a month ago. And it was a opinion piece I saw in the Detroit Free Press titled, As COVID-19 Cases Surge, Bail Reform is a Must for Michigan Legislature. And it started this way, and it's opinion piece for people who are advocating for bail reform. And from what I can tell, bail reform to them means getting rid of all forms of bail for most crimes, not all crimes. And they write, Michigan has long faced a crisis in its jails, fueled by our cash bail system. In the past 40 years, the number of people in Michigan jails has tripled, many of whom are there pre-trial. And so there's a lot more to it. And I reached out to someone I know, Calhoun County's prosecutor, Dave Giller, and asked him, who can I speak to to be educated And hopefully, if they would like to come on air and educate my listeners on on the bail system here in in Michigan, not trying to judge it right, wrong, in between, is there a problem? What is it today? Is there a problem? Is it this catastrophic problem that we're hearing about? He pointed me to Kate Ambrose. She's the 10th District Court Administrator there in Calhoun County. So I really appreciate her calling in. Good morning, Kate. Welcome for the first time to the Live with Ring Show. Good morning, Rick. Happy to be here. Well, as you heard me say, this is what sparked my immediate interest. I've always heard about our bail system and it needs to be reformed for a few years now. And and I don't know if that's true or not. I'm not a subject matter expert. You are, I'm told. And then I read this piece that really got me motivated to try to find out someone who who may know. So let's start with a bigger picture. They say Michigan has long faced a crisis in its jail fueled by our cash bail system. And then they talk about the the number of people who are in jails has tripled in the last 40 years. Is Two-part question. Is that true? Is our jail system in a crisis? fueled by cash bail system and has it tripled in 30 years? Well, Rink, I can most specifically talk to, about Michigan and Calhoun County. That's all I'm talking about. And I would about. say that, uh, yep. Yeah, you know, I don't think um, that our jail population has changed that much in 30 years. And I think cash bond, it's just one of the tools in the toolbox. Judges and magistrates in setting bonds 
you know, have many tools. And cash cash bail is, is really just one of those tools that's used when it's absolutely necessary. So when you say it's absolutely necessary, the impression many of us get, and that's why I like to have subject matter experts in uh, to talk about this when I can, the impression, so I don't know if it's right or wrong, is that almost everybody who gets charged with a crime is slapped with a cash bail and then many can't come up with the money so they're stuck in jail. That's the impression that many of us have. Is that true? It's not true. And I I did hear you say earlier, yeah, that the perception is if you steal a pencil, your bond is set at $100,000 and you simply can't pay that. But Absolutely well, that, and I and I hope, if I may, and I, I I hope I think I said it back then. I was exaggerating to make a point, but that yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, good, good, good. Go ahead. But, but you know, every judge and magistrate goes into setting a bond actually with the presumption that they're going to release that person um, from jail if they're in custody at the time. Without and, bail, you know, it's without. Well, yeah, I mean, and we have. You have the cash bail, and then you have something called personal recognizance, which is they don't post any money. They sign a form indicating that they understand that here are their bond conditions. They have to comply, and they have to show up for their next court event. So if we're if we're giving personal recognizance bonds, um, you know that's that's where we start. It's only if somebody. Uh, falls into different categories with factors that we would actually set a a cash bond. And so every time someone comes before us for an arraignment, we're looking at all this information. Are they currently on probation or parole? Do they have other pending cases? Do they have a prior recent criminal history? Have they ever failed to appear for court in the past? Is there a reason as a magistrate that I should be concerned for the safety of the public or the safety of an alleged victim? And I'm looking at all of those factors. And if I'm answering yes to a lot of of those questions, then we need to look at a cash bail option along with some other bond conditions. But if I'm answering no to those questions, if somebody's, you know, stealing a pencil and they've never been charged with anything before, I absolutely don't want to keep them in jail. And I don't think any judge or magistrate goes into setting a bond with the idea that they want to keep anyone in jail. So let's start, and you, I think you laid out some of it. When someone comes before you, you're part of setting bond for some of these people, correct? Yes. Okay, so when someone comes before you, or who gets the first stab at it? Let, let me put it that way. I, I Let's say I'm arrested for something. I'm in jail, uh, and you guys decide what happens next. If, if you're arrested, let's say you get arrested, let's say you get arrested later today, and you're in custody tomorrow, you will be arraigned um, at 1:30 in the afternoon with an attorney magistrate, and that magistrate will have information to rely on. So there's um, a department of the sheriff's department called Community Corrections, and they'll come in and they'll interview you, and they'll look up your criminal history, and then provide the magistrate with. A lot of the information that I mentioned earlier, are you on probation or parole? Mm-hmm. Have you failed to appear? And then at your arraignment, uh, the magistrate then would be the one who sets your initial bond. So none of these questions you ask has to do with uh, 
Are they poor? Are they uh, wealthy? Are they in between? Uh, what color they are? What sex they are? None of that plays in to any of this, correct? Correct. Absolutely not. No. I mean, the court comes in as as a neutral party all the time. In every court event, the court comes in as just sort of this middle of the road. And it's not until, you know, you gather all the information that you're able to make a decision. But it's information where everyone is, is treated the same, regardless of any type of, you know, status. So if you answer these questions that you go through every time, kind of like a criteria checklist, and you have enough yeses to them, that's then telling you you've got to issue some sort of cash bond. Correct? Yeah, it's telling me that that's definitely, yeah, it's telling me that's a tool that I really may need to pull out. I mean, if you, um, you know, if you fail to appear for court, you've got five convictions and every single one of those cases you failed to appear for court, then that's telling me that you're not really respecting the court's order to appear again and that maybe I need to use that cash bail to have you have some accountability to come into court. Okay, so one, one tool in the toolbox. Very good. So once you decided, okay, I am going to use that tool. How then does the court, you or the judge or any anybody else, how do they decide the amount? Um, well, generally, when you look at what someone is charged with, you initially think, I'm, I'm not going to exceed what that maximum fine would be for that offense. That's just a starting off point. But I think it also is based on um, you know, has this person, like if somebody has a pending case, what's the bond in that case? Because they have a pending case, they're on bond, and now they've committed another offense. So, you know, you, you want to look at that. Um, you look at the, the crime that they're charged with. You know, um, are we talking about a serious felony? Are we talking about an assaultive offense? Are we talking about just stealing a pencil? Um, you know, and all of that plays into deciding what the appropriate amount is. But I will say that unless it's a serious felony, we're talking, you know, assault with a dangerous weapon, criminal sexual conduct, we're not going to be seeing cash bonds going over, you know, $50,000. If I'm setting bonds, especially on misdemeanor cases, the bonds are going to be less than a hundred dollars. I'm sorry, less than a thousand dollars, generally speaking. And then they generally we're not talking. And then they have to put up what 10% yeah. of that to get out or how does that work? They, they, yeah. Every, yeah. They're cash or surety bonds. So if they want to use a bail bondsman um, and a bail bondsman will assist them, then they generally pay 10% of that and the bail bondsman posts the rest. They can also just post the full amount themselves or have someone that they know post that full amount. Okay. All right. So I'm going to take a quick break. On air with us is 10th District Court Administrator Kate Ambrose. I'm so happy she came on air. I, I told her off air before he came on air. I was really excited in, about this interview. I've I've learned a lot while I've been in my third career of radio, but this is something that I've uh, I wanted more information on. So I'm really happy that she was able to come on air and talk to us. So we're going to take a quick break, come back on the other side and find out just how uh, how out of control 
the cash bail system seems to be in Michigan, according to these people who want to reform it. That's a little tongue in cheek. You've heard what Kate has said, as well as is there things that we should reform? Is it that easy to get cash bail or is it really the people that we're very concerned about? as you just heard the checklist she went through. So that more is coming up right after this. You listen to me, Rank, on the Live with Rank show. You listen to Live with Rank. What's going on by Marvin Gaye? What's really going on if it's not easy to get cash bail, like people who are proponents of getting rid of cash bail uh, give us the perception that it is. Everybody gets it. In fact, as you just heard a court administrator talk about it, You've got to have something in the past that makes them think you're not going to come around. So what's really going on? They write in their opinion piece that got me going to get to Kate to have her come on this. Opponents of bail reform argue that these policies changes drive increases in crime. Are you ready for this? This is a month ago. Opponents of bail reform argue these policy changes drive increases in time in crime. Public safety should be taken very seriously. But recent analysis have concluded that there is no clear evidence linking bail reforms, which have been in place for years in some cities like Detroit and Lansing, to the recent rise in violent crimes nationally. Really? This is certainly questionable. Look at all the vicious crimes happening in the cities that have bail reform. New York, L.A., San Francisco, Seattle, Minneapolis, and more. So it's interesting how they just completely, in my mind, totally undercut what they're trying to do by making such outlandish claims of these people who are not on bail. I remember playing in audio for you a few months ago or a month ago, whenever, the guy was laughing. He tried to burn down and kill his girlfriend and he couldn't believe he was let out on no cash bail. And then you're hearing more and more of that. So the question really is, what are these people trying to do? I don't get it. Do you? 269-441- Nine five nine five. John wants to talk about cash bail. Good morning, John. Welcome. Good morning, Ray. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. I'm waiting for you to talk. <laughs> well, okay. Yeah. Uh, I think one of the aspects that uh, wasn't covered, but I didn't hear it all, so I might be wrong. It's those that violate their bond when they're put out there. They wind up in the prison for a, or the jail for a substantial amount of time until they can get to trial. And I suspect that those that are complaining that the bail system is unfair and unreasonable are really talking about people that are in jail because they violated it. I strenuously told my clients that were charged with criminal offenses about avoiding violating in any way whatsoever the the terms of the bond that they got. And I had very few violations, but I stressed it, stressed it, stressed it 
because I knew the consequences, and I explained to them the consequences. So what we're really probably hearing from those who want all this bond and bail reform is they're looking at the people that are long-term in the jail awaiting trial, and they're there because they created their own monster for the second time. Right. I think so often what they do is they're looking at what that person may be in jail for that time. It's like the first time they ever got caught for that when they're not taking into consideration the lengthy rap sheet, the five times they didn't show up to court, the breaking of parole, all that in these people's minds, I think, just goes away. And they're focusing on just that single incident and not looking at the behavior prior to that. Well, I believe that's another part of it, but I think one of the things we're seeing is they're looking at the people in there who violated the bail that was given to them, and they get back there. And I really think that's possibly what it is that they're looking at, and, oh, this is horrible. Well, it's horrible because the the made it horrible. So... John, you're a lawyer and you had patients who patients, you had clients who in the past had faced cash bail, uh, bail bond. Uh, Is it easy to get cash bail bond or is it not easy? In your experience, I used to get personal cognizance most of the time or a 10 percent bond. Uh, and uh, a cash, when you talk about cash bail, you're supposed to put it all up in cash. Oftentimes, you'll get a, a 10% bond that you have to put up. There are a lot of alternatives uh, to doing it, and that can be obtained, okay? But if you get something good like personal recognizance and you go out there and you screw up, there's a good likelihood, depending on your record and a lot of other things, that the judge is going to say, hey, I got other people to worry about. You can't follow the, the rules I give you. Sit in and cool your heels. So do you feel that the Michigan bail bond? So we spoke to a court, court administrator and magistrate. You as a lawyer who practices in it, do you feel that it is uh, out of control as these proponents for reform believe it is? No, they're dead wrong. I said this at a previous time on your show. They're dead wrong. It's incorrect. Uh, The system is actually too liberal as far as I'm concerned because basically uh, a lot of people that ought not be out on personal recognizance get out on it. Uh, So basically my thinking is that it could be more strenuous. I think people have to understand the seriousness of what they're involved with. And so basically, no, I don't agree with those people. And I think people that jump on that bandwagon are going to be very sorry in the long run. All right. Thanks for calling in. Appreciate that. 269-441-9595. Talking about breaking the law. I put a little piece out there today. In 2026, you will no longer be able to drink, to drive drunk, I should say. Will it work? So we know the most dangerous people traversing our roads these days are drunk drivers and texting, Facebooking, mobile phone distracted drivers. These people are taking the lives of innocent people trying to go just about their day. A new nationwide mandate. I don't know if you knew this. It kind of slipped under the the door. Was created when the House and Senate passed 
the Biden and Biden signed that massive infrastructure bill. In that bill, there is a provision that calls for all car manufacturers to create and install anti-drunk driving technology in all of their new cars, starting with their 2026 model year. How will they do this? Well, I found a few, and it's in the piece I wrote. Again, you can go to WBCKFM.com or one of the affiliates you're listening to me on's website. Check it out. I'll have to give you a little bit more information about that. More coming up right after this. You're listening to The Live with Ring Show. Live with Ring Show. I was telling you about this piece I put out there this morning. Little unknown nationwide mandate that was created when the House and the Senate passed that massive infrastructure bill and Biden signed it. And that is, there is a provision that calls for car manufacturers to create and install anti-drunk driving technology in all of their new cars, starting with their 2026 models. So I was thinking, they're just going to get someone else to blow into it, maybe. So here are some other ones I found that are out there than this straight breathalyzers. So they talk about a standard ignition interlock device. You know, that has to do with the breath sample. Well, that's very easy to get around of, hey, we blow in this car, I'll give you 20 bucks. You would hope people wouldn't do it, but they would. Some probably would. There is an interlock with camera. So Virginia recently updated its statewide interlock requirement through what's called VASAP to mandate that an offender can only use a camera-enabled ignition interlock device. What's that? The camera snaps a photo during each test startup and rolling to ensure that no one is blowing into the device on behalf of the person driving. And then there's this interlock it with interlock with GPS. The most recent improvement to interlocks are those that were are GPS enabled. New York requires these and they allow an offender's location to be tracked, which is especially needed for those with restrictions on where they can and cannot drive, end quote. Well, that's still not, I don't know what that does with something else, someone else blowing into it. Because at this point in time, these devices would be either based on breath or blood. And I, I don't know if I can see blood being used as a, tepping, a testing standard or sample. So I asked the question, is this the next step towards Big Brother monitoring us? If you feel this way. How do we stop these people from drunk driving, harming, and killing innocent people? And will people just find a way to get around it? So I only have a few minutes left here. You can try to call in with that if you would like. You can certainly go to the Rank Live Facebook page or the WBCKFM's Facebook page. They will uh, give you the ability to comment on it as others have. Wanda writes, what about driving while high on marijuana in Michigan? When will police start going after these scoff laws? And and more. Or you can call us real quickly here at 269-441-9595. I want to bring you, again, someone who had so much foresight. And I guess we can question where we would be today if we had him as president. This is 
President Trump speaking in front of the U.N. back in 2018 about Europe's um, dependency on Russian oil and Russian energy. And they were specifically showing the German delegation, two guys that were there. And at the end, you're going to hear what President Trump said. But then they actually laughed, these German, the German delegation, these two, I guess, ambassadors or whatever they were. Here it is. Reliance on a single foreign supplier can leave a nation vulnerable to extortion and intimidation. That is why we congratulate European states such as Poland for leading the construction of a Baltic pipeline so that nations are not dependent on Russia to meet their energy needs. Germany will become totally dependent on Russian energy if it does not immediately change course. Here in the Western Hemisphere, we are committed to maintaining our independence from the encroachment of expansionist foreign powers. So he, they panned to the two Germans at the end there, and they were laughing about him saying the reliance on Russian oil. Again, ask yourself why Russia didn't try to take over Ukraine, invade Ukraine during Trump's four years. Within months after Biden is seated, they started amassing troops to take over. And now look what they're doing. And Trump warned them back then. And the Germans laughed at him. Here's NBC's Peter Alexander asking a question of Jen Psaki the other day. I'm surprised he asked it. You'll hear him say the word pariah. That means one who's despised or rejected. Listen to this. In the conversation we've had earlier about Iran, Venezuela, and Saudi Arabia, the president as a candidate said in November of 2019 of Saudi Arabia, he said we would make them, quote, pay the price and make them, in fact, the pariah that they are. There's very little social redeeming value in the present government in Saudi Arabia. Does President Biden still stand by those words about the government of Saudi Arabia? He does. He's never stood away from them, Peter. But it's also true that there is a war in Yemen, that there are security issues in the Middle East, uh, that uh, there are a range of steps we need to engage with all sorts of countries around the world on that are in, because it's in our U.S. national security interest and in our interests. So that pariah, one who's despised or rejected, is one that Biden's going to and asking, begging them to pump more oil along with Saudi Arabia, along with Venezuela. He's not willing to here, but he's asking all of them to do it. That pariah. Talking about Iran, listen to a question Jen Psaki answered yesterday concerning uh, people being concerned that Iran will get a nuclear weapon. Again, they keep talking like this, the, this agreement they're getting into stops them from getting into a nuclear getting a nuclear weapon when all of us with a brain know that after 10 years they were allowed to do whatever they wanted 
and acquire a nuclear weapon. So I don't know why these people are allowed to sit there and say every time that it's going to stop them from getting a nuclear weapon when we know that's not true. After 10 years, they can do what they want. And now it would be, I don't even know, three years, I think they said. It's not even restarting the clock. But listen to what she says and think about this. Why Is this what you want to rely on when it comes to Iran with a nuclear weapon. The other thing I wanted to ask you about going back to the Iran nuclear deal is my understanding is that Russia is demanding guarantees that sanctions targeting the Kremlin over Ukraine do not hinder its trade with Iran. That would potentially be reopened if it's Iran nuclear war moved forward. Could that throw a wrench in negotiations? And I am curious what the White House's take is overall on Russia's trying to put that all together now. Well, again, I think as our Secretary of State said yesterday, uh, we don't believe it has anything to do with our shared goal of uh, preventing Iran from acquiring a nuclear weapon. So you don't see it as a way to potentially, I guess, limit the impact that current sanctions We don't believe Russia wants Iran to have a nuclear weapon either. We don't believe Russia wants Iran to have a nuclear weapon either. Is that what you want to trust? That they don't believe it? There is so much going on out there these days. So much bad. I'm afraid to leave the station and find out what the gas is today. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the show today. I appreciate it very much. It'll be up on podcast, hopefully within an hour or two after the show. You have a great day. I'll talk to you tomorrow at 9 a.m. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.